0: Welcome to our latest edition of the Farming for Change podcast with me, James Smith, and him, Ben Taylor Davis. We haven't got a guest today. For a couple of within, within families
1: and relationships and marriages and that sort of thing it can get even lonely, and it can be a yeah. really, really tough time of, of actually being a. We, we talk about here that we've got to be uh, resilient to change, and the whole thing is called Farming for Change. Of course, there's lots of underlying things to this, and and, and one of those is this climate that's changing rather quite rapidly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And we spoke about this today um, quite a lot in so much as I farm um, mainly uh, annual crops and therefore my ability to change is, is rather quite quickly. I can change every single year. We've just had record temperatures in the UK. It's actually quite worrying what's happening. I can actually adapt and change and do whatever possibly I need to do. And what we spoke about today very much was you're in this for a much, much longer longer term. And, and what essentially seemed like a good idea eight, nine, mm. ten years ago is actually a worrying thing where you are now. Um, yeah. And perhaps you'd like, like to explain a little bit, because we've touched on this subject of rootstock and yeah. apples and things. And and uh, as me as an advisor, certainly lots of farmers that are farming annual crops and, and, and the general public that listen. I think we need to just delve a little bit deeper into this world of, of what is modern tr- trees right. and orchards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because, um, interesting enough, um, I, I've, I've been very fortunate, we're going to touch on this later, I've just come back from Portugal, part holiday, uh, but also part of... Um, looking after some guys where i i, I do regenerative advice and interesting Avenue haven't you bought a, a uh, olive grove uh, as well i'm going to olive olive plantation <laughs> now as well and we're going to start importing some lovely uh, regenerative portuguese food um, some olive oils and some wines and some beautiful iberian hams that are nice. grown on this on the homo uh, acorn and that sort of thing so this is some exciting new businesses uh, and some ideas and things that i think is going to help us build resilience but interestingly enough one of the some of the vineyards i've visited that are doing some really really nice stuff with soils and, and plant have actually realized that this very famous rootstock that they grow an awful lot of their vines on now cannot withstand the temperatures yeah. that, they're, that they're getting and they've lost 80 percent of their grape harvest this year because the rootstock is not resilient enough to the climate that is now happening in portugal yeah and interesting enough
0: You know, that's probably why you're a little bit down here. Is it the same here for you and the fruit trees? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a combination. I think we've touched on this in terms of how most farming industries have specialised and, and kind of gone down this efficiency and this big drive for yield. We've been focusing on class one yield. You know, so the best apples, as many as we can grow per hectare, and everything has focused on that, and we've ended up with... Which is basically a blemish-free, perfectly round,
1: yeah. perfectly coloured... Exactly. Everything, apparently, that the, the supermarkets have told the consumers, that's what they've asked for.
0: Yeah, and and I think people have become conditioned. It was interesting looking at the photos you showed from Portugal, whereas most of the stuff that was being sold perfectly well in Portugal we would never have even made it to the supermarket shelves in the UK. So we're we're definitely as a society we've been conditioned to expect perfect and um, with with little consideration for the rest of it and i suppose our orchards have reflected that sort of drive for perfection and that drive for economic success i suppose mm. as, in terms of uh, producing apples so our orchards are kind of single-minded single-purpose production units I remember not too many years ago saying our minimum orchard sizes has got to go up. We've got to have bigger orchards. It's all got to be a single high coloured variety, and the entire focus was on the economic performance of your orchard. So, and I think the problem then is that we've got rootstocks that are so. For, for those that don't know, this is a quick sort of ABC of, of fruit growing, but our apple trees in the UK aren't grown on their own roots, which sounds a bit weird. But basically what we grow are trees that are the productivity and the size of the tree is determined by the roots that they're grown on. So in a nursery, we call them root socks. So there'll be another apple variety or uh, similar that, that are used to control the size of of the tree if you grow a seedling apple tree it will want to look like a wild tree so it will be tall it will stand alongside an oak it'll most of the crop will be in the top let's be honest it looks like a tree that like everybody
1: would imagine a tree should look like which exactly. is exactly which is essentially a tennis ball on a lollipop stick yeah. kind of design yeah. of what you'd expect uh, a, a tree yeah. in,
0: in its simplest form to, to look like so fundamentally we have we have trees that are grown on different roots in order so they conform to a production system so, and that's all been driven by labour costs, uh, productivity, and fruit quality, management, uh, and and so we have we have a production system that is the kind of the end result of years and years of research and development to try and produce more bright red perfect apples. And and I suppose what I'm seeing now is that with the changing climate, I see some of these modern orchards are more vulnerable to some of these shifts in weather patterns you know we can manage drought to a certain extent by irrigating but that doesn't help with extreme temperatures you know you can give a tree as much water as you like but if it's in 40 degrees heat it's still struggling and so last year we had we had a lack of sunlight and we had a cold wet gray spring and summer and, and then we had a relatively mild winter and you know you end up with with trees that are designed to produce an awful lot but because they haven't Had everything they need in terms of sunlight hours, or they've had too much, or not enough chill units in the winter. You can end up with orchards that are supposed to produce sixty tons a hectare that are producing twenty, thirty, or you know, or or less sometimes. So we have these funny little unnatural-looking trees, and I'm trying to. we're, We're Loddington farming with nature, so I'm trying to farm in a more natural way. And trying to work out what that looks like in a modern intensive orchard is quite challenging. So we don't spray off the the strips under the trees anymore with with weed killer. uh, And we don't apply any fertilizers to the soil but we we do still need to look after the trees in terms of spraying against some pests and disease so some of which we can use biological controls which we do as much as possible we'll go with an organic or a a biological approach but as we saw today you know you you, there's you know there's a a suite of bugs that like to bite apples when they're smaller which leaves them looking odd shapes and things but interesting enough
1: and 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 this is a frightening thing about food security for the for the future as well now, whilst the coddling moth has made a, 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 an indentation and, and a little blemish on the, the apple itself, therefore you pick that apple and toss it onto the ground, so to speak. Yeah,
0: be good chicken feed for the caterpillar
1: inside. But but, but essentially, nutritionally, we're, we're throwing away massive amounts of nutritionally dense food and, and, and good food purely because of slight blemishes and slight slight inconveniences.
0: Yeah, it's true. Um, we work really hard to try and get... A, a, stop it happening in the first place, and then B, stop it... Getting picked and going into the supermarket supply chain through the pack house and everything else, so you know we 're always striving for north of ninety percent class one perfect fruit in each bin that we pick that we send into the the system because there 's so much cost associated with all of it. You know there are moves to you know use wonky fruit and this that and the other but i think the biggest challenge is the commercial risks in terms of these modern varieties they're also varieties that aren't naturally resistant to yeah. a lot of pest and disease so it's a bit like wheat varieties that have been bred for yield and um, but they can't stand up on their own in the absence of everything, everything. everything's synthetic so you end up breeding again breeding for a specific reason and then assumption that there's a chemical bubble around it to protect it from everything else so going forward for us as a business you know we probably need to look back at well a stronger rootstocks because we saw today in one of our older orchards what i deem to be an outmoded orchard is actually yes, wonderfully productive in a, in a in a challenging year so and so and potentially varieties i think we need a blend of new varieties that are resistant we know have got resistance to some of the the, the diseases And also just stronger rootstocks that you have a more robust tree and grown in a way that you can introduce livestock. And we've talked about looking at integrating livestock into our systems. And rather than having a single purpose apple orchard, you have a regenerative fruit production unit that also is a mixed production unit. And nuts and 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 fruit and and everything else. so that's, the, that's the, sort of the, the way I see things going into the future. But for now, we just have to look after these, the orchards that we've got now in the best way that we can mm. to try and have a positive financial outcome from them so we can still go on the journey of working out <laughs> how to do it next because you've got to survive today in order to enjoy tomorrow. So,
1: Do, do you think that the consumer, and it's only just a question I've asked myself really, do you think the consumer is aware in a supermarket or in any, any farm shop the difference between conventional and organic in terms of, can you imagine listing above a, a crate of, of, of intensely grown commercial apples everything that has been sprayed on that apple since the beginning of March?
0: I think it would be a very uncomfortable truth in a lot of situations, oh. and potentially even for an organically grown the yeah. number of sprays. Yeah. it's had. I think there's always the perception that organic means unsprayed. Yeah, of um, course. And this is, this is one of the main reasons why I've Decided to change the way we're farming is because I want to be comfortable, hand on heart, that what I'm producing and selling uh, is is a better product, better for the planet, better for us, better for the the person eating it, and better for the people that are working on the farm. So, I think you look across any number of fresh produce that are, are grown conventionally, and it's alarming, really. Yeah. But I mean, it- but then what do you do? You know, you, you, at the end of the day, a growing population and this this is this is the whole debate because a lot of people say well, you know how do you scale up the regenerative model and everything else which we've talked about and because the whole food industry has become so siloed a chicken farmer is a chicken farmer a beef farmer is a beef farmer arable is an arable and we don't get that we don't get that kind of mixed approach. But interesting enough,
1: I mean this this whole specialisation is it, really quite amazing for the last fifty years. As we've done more and more specialised, it was considered low and low risk. Yeah. Until yes. the point now, you now realise it's the highest risk you possibly can be. It's, you, it's fragile. Absolutely. It's yeah. the most high risk thing you could be. Yeah. Whereas what we thought we were doing is exactly. managing risk. Exactly. What we were actually doing is, is filling our business full yeah. of risk. Yeah. Um, which is why I've gone absolutely bananas at home of, of yeah. absolutely diversifying into everything. And as I said to you like, when we were chatting yesterday, my um, my herbal laser are hanging on just about. The livestock looks rather quite healthy. And things are looking quite good, ish. Mm. You know, the drought is having a massive effect, but the vineyard
0: yeah.
1: is booming. Yeah. And in actual fact, whereas last year with all the frost we had in April and May, the the vineyard was on its knees. And therefore, if all I was as a vineyard owner, I'd be crying to the bank manager saying I've got real problems. I don't know how we're going to make it through. Yeah. In actual fact, being three percent of the business. Last year, um, actually, it's probably less than three percent of, of 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 contribution. This year, it could be eighty
0: percent contribution. Yeah, and and that's where the resilience comes from. And I think that's an interesting one, you know, and picking up on, you know, the banking sector and, yeah. and the role they have to play in in all this. Because we talked as we as we walked around the farm today, looking at where I could be tapping into to some of the funding for environmental measures and to, to drive some of the positive changes, as a, as a separate income stream. But, you know, the banking sectors are also now under increasing pressure with a green agenda. I know I've had conversations with my bank manager about the, the role that the farm is playing. Rather than just looking at gross margins of apples, gross margins of you know, the different crops and looking at it, what other benefits are we delivering on the farm yes. in terms of net biodiversity gain? I mean, as we walked around today... You know, the place is full of grasshoppers and butterflies and, and everything else. But that isn't monetized at the moment. It could be, because uh, as we were talking about earlier on. But it's it's how you get, you know, how you get your, your bank on side to help support a change. I, and I also think that the, that
1: the banks have got to start visiting some of the farms like our own um, to start understanding that actually whilst there's a... Um, shall I say, an unnerving time as you sort of go from this high production to to a more sustainable long-term future, shall I call it, that actually the bank needs to understand that what we're actually doing is setting up a business that is far more financially viable. And more to the point, If a bank should be looking long-term. I, I presume they want the business of our children and our grandchildren well, like in, in, in years to come. And therefore, actually, a business that goes boom and bust rather quite quickly is not the not the business they're looking to support and therefore yeah. in actual fact you, you know supporting what we're trying to do in terms of actually whether building soil soil resilient just resilience as a whole yeah. whether it be multiple businesses on a farm whether it be multiple crops within a field whether it be you know from the micro level to the macro level all the way through and as we put resilience or diversity whatever you want to call it essentially the same thing yeah is something that the banks really need to start understanding Uh, is fundamental to their financial return and and their profits and how that's driven, but also how they can support farmers on this journey and start to understand how, whilst the government, and it's really interesting, I've just had Janet Hughes' visit, who's the head of uh, DEFRA for Innovation, and she did a visit around the farm, loved what we were doing and all that sort of thing. And one of the things I said was, whilst I think it's amazing the amount of opportunity there is out there to get onto various environmental schemes, there are that many environmental schemes. Most of them go unnoticed by most farms. Mm. And as I said to you today, we walk around your farm and potentially you've got a huge income stream that you're not even tapping into because technically it involves an awful lot of searching on, on, yeah. on online or, or through whatever, mail shots and that sort of thing. It's not easily accessible quite hard to design. It's a slight worry because it's a fixed time. What am I gonna be, do I want to be doing this in five years? Is it exactly what I wanna lock into? And therefore I think, you know, again, I'm not sure how educated the banking sector is in encouraging farmers into yeah. some of
0: these schemes and, and adapting. And, well, because um, the bank will be a, very interested to hear that you've got an extra 100 uh, grand coming in from somewhere else. Absolutely. To help drive yeah. positive change um, on the on the land, which uh, benefits everybody. Of course. And, you know, and as the government are uh, committed to this,
1: public money for public goods, might be so, I find it odd uh, this week I've done quite a few farm tours, and, uh, and quite a few farmers are like... Uh, how do you feel about people just you know because we're opening new footpaths at the moment how do you feel about people walking around your farm and i said well since the um the whole subsidy has arisen i think on and the loan i think we've taken over a million and a half of public money mm. uh, of taxpayers money i'm not really that uh, upset about showing them what they what they've got for their money yeah. which is generally yeah. um actually quite a nice workable farm with yeah. um with plenty of the environment and and as I tell people, profitability as a business is, is first and foremost. Yeah, but they're not mutually exclusive from the environment. No, you can farm very very well, and the environment can do and can thrive. Yeah, you know, it's not actually we need to plough up all the hedges and plant 300, 400 acre fields, and, and and that's the only way.
0: Again, that that's high risk. But but and going back to that incentivisation that you were talking about, Portugal being. Paid to cultivate land. Yeah, I mean, it's it's horrific. It's 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 part of a
1: of a a scheme of of the fallout of Agenda 2000 essentially, or the cap reform. That land under cultivation is 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 essentially paid a, a fairly good fee. A farmland. So they're, they're literally cultivating between olive groves and olive plantations, burning huge amounts of carbon, A, to cultivate, but B, out of the soil. Yeah. The soils are degrading and degrading and degrading, and, and, and essentially they're farming subsidies. And being paid for it. Absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely, the, the, the thing stinks. Thousands and thousands and thousands of hectares. And essentially... And the uh, temperatures you saw while you were there? Yeah, well, well interestingly enough, I did some soil temperature measurements uh, the highest soil temperature I recorded was sixty-one degrees centigrade, which kills everything. It's, yeah. it's 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 essentially a sterilant at that temperature. Interestingly enough, on some of the regenerative oil, um, regenerative vineyards I visited, where they're using mulches and all sorts of things, and, you, and we started measuring the temperature there, at about twenty-four.
0: Yeah, so cooling. Uh, yeah,
1: at twenty-four degrees your soul is full of life yeah you know it thrives it can do that sort of thing you know so and, and are they getting paid to do that no they're getting paid nothing to do that <laughs> unfortunately um, having said that as part of the, the import business we're thinking of well we're not thinking but we're setting up at the moment of regenerative items from Portugal I think people are going to start appreciating very good you know we, we, we've also got to appreciate and I think people might might think oh, how, how odd, you you know surely all regeneratives should be local. Mm. And I agree with that, but unfortunately, people are always going to want some olive oil. Yeah, they're always going to want some Iberian hams, and they're always going to want some fine, fine red wines. Now, I grow red wine, and there's a reason why we we, we buy it from <laughs> Portugal. We buy it from Portugal or, or mix <laughs> with white. <laughs> We, we just literally really <laughs> haven't got a, a red wine climate that, that produces a nice red wine, you know. It, if you want a nice red wine and you not want a nice olive oil and, and, and a regenerative olive oil like that way, you're actually looking after ancient
0: olive groves because they're all being ripped up every single... Well, th- you were saying it's a bit like your view of an apple orchard. <coughs> it's like my view of an olive grove. It's these big old gnarly it, olive trees. Yeah. Um, and you're saying they've been through the same intensification. But they they process. look exactly like your orchards. Yeah, they're all yeah. on
1: trellises, all planted within a meter apart yeah. in both directions, and, and literally just just, just up there. Absolute production units, irrelevant of taste, of flavour and, and mm-hmm. everything else. Is, it's just how much olive oil can we stuff into a five litre container as cheap as we possibly can.
0: Amazing.
1: Whereas we're looking at, obviously, looking after some of these ancient olive groves. Yeah. Grazing the pigs, the Iberian hams under. Uh, because, of course, they're not just full of olive trees. There's whole mo- There's also cork oak where they're making the cork uh, making the wine. Absolutely, for the yeah. wine and that sort of thing. And it's Again, you couldn't get more regenerative than cork production where they actually every nine years harvest the cork from around the tree yeah. the tree is then left to, to, to regrow yeah. for another nine years and then you yeah. harvest it again yeah. absolutely what a better than a plastic cork a thousand, a thousand times bit. better than a plastic cork yeah. it's yeah it's remarkable our and i think our ignorance in in sustainability of cork honestly i, I think and i guess a lot of people think you have a cork tree mm. you cook a, you cut them down and you make corks You you couldn't be any further from the truth, as as probably the most regenerative thing out there is a cork. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so yeah, they're incredible. There's a lot going on in Portugal. I really, really, really love the guys out there. Um, I went and spoke at a school as well, really interesting uh, bilingual school, doing some really cool stuff. They're looking on the school menu to just use regenerative produce. Nice, yeah. Um, So, which is why I went with Sergio. And uh, yeah, and it worked very good, but. I mean, I, I, my Portuguese still isn't great, but um, the guys will be laughing because they do listen to our podcast, and the lad, Joao, oh, it's taken me nearly four, 14 months to actually pronounce his name correctly, <laughs> I still think I've probably got it wrong, so I apologise now. Sergio, that's easy enough. Yeah. And Francisco as well. So, so
0: yeah, some good guys doing some good stuff. Yeah, it's exciting. It's exciting. Well, I mean, talking about business resilience and everything else, we walked around here and we had a look at some of the stuff we were doing at Loddington, and it's the first time you've actually had a proper look round. we we've kind of met up and done some bits and pieces of drinking drinking we've done a bit of that but yeah so we we had a look at some of the apple orchards we had a look at some of the sheep some of the open land we we've got uh, we had a festival a couple of weeks ago called the blue reef festival which happened on the bottom of the farm and that was amazing and and i think we, we we touched on that just saying that you know you can't have a you can't have a field that's just for a festival but actually the way i see it is that i want the festival to be a celebration of the land you know rather than having to put up event shelters because it's too hot and sunny, you plant trees. So, cool. so festival goers can sit under the trees. But that's a, a, another part of the business. But we we had a look through about all the different parts of the business. Had a look at the reservoir. We had a look at we had some apricots where we're, we're picking apricots at the moment. Very well, tasty too. Beautiful, yeah. And uh, and they they're going gangbusters through our farm shop that we had a look at, which yep. is another little diversification. And then I think you were quite surprised to see the the hive of activity that's going on at Loddington with all the other little businesses. Yeah. And, and the we've got the musket brewery here with their with their tap room. And I suppose all of that is is all part of this driving this resilience and building a long term business. And For me, the fruit growing is still fundamental to what I do. And as as we were talking earlier, you know, I don't want to stop growing fruit. I want to grow fruit in the way that I want to grow it. And sometimes you have to compromise on your principles a bit. And, you know, some of my orchards I have to still grow in a way that is not as necessarily as as kind as I'd I'd like it to be. But we've also seen some of the challenges. Trees that don't grow. Pear trees that just simply don't grow. Um, Four years old and it comes back to the whole rootstock issue. So I've got... I've got two pear orchards that just don't grow and don't don't produce very many pears, and you know you have to kind of overcome those obstacles as part of the journey, and then work out what you're going to go next. We saw guys at Meadowside Organics yes doing doing their that they're growing salads and veg for the for the farm shop. They were busy looking at ways they could keep the cabbage whites off their brassicas. I think yeah Um, netting netting and and that sort of thing. So there's loads going on here unfortunately we couldn't pick any cherries because they've all gone and we've had a local wandering in and helping themselves um, which I've been distracted this morning looking to see if my trail trail camera is going to show up our repeat visitor he'll be disappointed because A I might meet him um, but B, B there won't be any cherries left for him but We had a look at the asparagus, which has now gone to Fern, which is looking all right. But at the same time, you know, we're looking at the asparagus for this year, and our labour costs have gone through the roof. So actually, after I've paid someone to cut and grade the asparagus, there isn't a lot left for the business. Um, And that's a a massive worry in terms of... We were talking about this as well earlier on, that prices haven't really moved. I know we're seeing inflation in food prices, but you look at on-farm prices, they're relatively static, therefore declining.
1: Yeah, but also... The inflation of, of food prices is about a tenth of the inflation of our input costs.
0: Yes, exactly. So, so
1: in actual fact, we're going backwards.
0: And that, for me, is a, that's a worry for British food and farming. Everything we're trying to do helps with that. But you still have these issues around electricity prices, fuel prices, labour, availability of labour. It, let alone what you pay when you've got someone there, but it's if you can actually find them to come on. But, but interestingly enough, and uh, um, I'll touch on a chapter of the book I've just written, um, Have you actually written it now?
1: I've written most of it. Um, we're just w- literally waiting for the court case to. Hopefully, uh, we'll we'll touch on that right, in a minute. Yeah. But I've written a chapter on, the, on, on about mental health and things like that. And I- interesting enough, I, I sort of really delved into farming and and farmers and mental health and things like this. And um, I, th- I think we've touched on on dyslexia and, and a- 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 ADHD before and, and things like that. But essentially, the farmer is very highly populated in in terms of, shall we just call them spectrums? And, and that's generally because if a farmer had five sons, if one son was on, on some kind of either autistic spectrum, ADHD spectrum or, or um, dyslexia spectrum, would end up staying on the farm because it was very hard for them to, to, to get a job and the other four would disappear yeah. off into the city and that sort of thing. And, and, and essentially what we've done is self-select for people like that to be on farms. Now years and years ago they were almost called the dunce of the, the, the family and that sort of thing and what we found of course is that's absolutely ridiculous we just are and, and of course I'm on some kind of spectrum we're not quite sure what um, <laughs> Janet, Janet Hughes who is here um, interesting enough has just been diagnosed with ADHD really? and she said to me you're definitely on an ADHD <laughs> spectrum you can't be juggling 300 enterprises and no. find it absolutely fine um, <laughs> that's not normal and therefore
0: you, 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 you know I'm, I'm going to di- diagnose you for you and I High functioning,
1: yeah, yeah. but 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 part of the book I, I I explored and I thought well, so what makes us slightly different? What makes us different in terms of people? Like, you know, the fact that I can't write a D or a B and a P and a you know, and to me in my mind, but actually my my, my mind to my hand seems to just not function in in a, in a way it should. And what I what I, I sort of came to the conclusion was that farmers with with, with these slight um, issues are, are incredible problem solvers. Mm. Uh, and what farmers are very good at is getting a few bits of metal, welding them together, and, and and coming up with some great solutions to things. And I think one of the key drivers for me for my mental health problems and a lot of other farmers' mental health is their problem solvers. Mm-hmm. Yet, modern agriculture, you get given a list yeah. and a recipe. So you go and spray this, and go and fertilise this, and if you inject this, and actually... There is no problem to solve, and therefore in actual fact, unfortunately, you start thinking about your debt and your and your and repayments and your loans and and and, and, and things that are unfortunately things that start to play on your mind and i and I firmly believe that actually. When you look at the coddling moth pr- problem or, or, or whatever problem on the farm, and you, rather than think, right, well, I'm just going to spray it with whatever somebody tells me to spray, I'm going to th- start thinking about an alternative solution, whether it be natural or, or, or however, whatever. Yeah. Funny enough, your brain starts switching into this very thing that I think we're, we're very in tune to, which is problem solving. Yeah. And I really do think that actually, as, a, as an industry, we could we could do an awful lot of help to ourselves... By actually tearing up a few of these recipe books and, yeah. and, and, and and methodology by following lists and that sort of thing, and, and start using our, our our initiatives and our the very things that we were blessed with, yeah, far far more. I don't know. I don't. I don't know whether you agree or. or
0: I do. I do. I think. I, I think it's, sometimes it's very daunting, isn't it, to wean yourself off the lists and the recipes, and because of course the whole industry is geared up around it, and it's not only the industry but all the industries that service, yeah, you know farming and. And so I think it's about having a, a bit of an inquiring mind and I think that's where the sort of work that you're doing and, and the the fact that we talk to people and get people on farm and, and just keep having the conversation is about just to try and light that spark so that you can start to do some problem solving. Because very often, a, a bit like now with, with arable crops and nitrogen prices, people are all of a sudden now saying, well how can we use less nitrogen yeah. because it's too expensive. It's not being driven by an environmental desire to do it, but all of a sudden someone says, oh, well, I planted a companion crop and I didn't need to apply any nitrogen. <clears throat> and it's like, and these are all the wider benefits. And it's like, yeah, that's right. But I think once the penny drops and people start to see the, the alternative way of solving problems, then they tend to gain momentum. Yeah. Then you're away. I mean, desperation to a point leads to innovation.
1: And, and I did say to Janet, you know, I was gutted that the, the area A payment is going to be split between end of July and December yeah. because it's actually throwing a lot of people a lifeline of buying some fertiliser yeah. paying, paying last year's fertiliser bill off sort yeah. of thing yeah. in actual fact you, you know if you starve them of that bearing in mind it is disappearing anyway yeah. so I mean you're going to have to get used to it but I, I, I almost think they've they've shot themselves in the foot in terms of sustainability a little bit or forcing the hand of people mm. because in actual fact they've thrown, been thrown a lifeline of oh actually we've there's been a bit of a check bit, a bit of a check here coming yeah. in, and, and therefore we can we can do something. So, yeah, it's 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 it, it certainly is interesting. But g- going back, I'm just reading a book at the moment, actually. I don't know if you've come across it. It's called Scale. No, I haven't read it. Uh, it was recommended to me by uh, Emily Norton, who's the um, chair of the Oxford Farming Conference th- for this year. And um, it, it's an amazing book of talking about how actually cities, nature, communities and everything are actually follow some quite amazing rules. Mm-hmm. And actually, as you start to scale scale up things and scale down things, everything is very relative. Now, interestingly enough, I'm just going to use your, your apple trees uh, as, a, as an example, but we could use anything from the ages. And if you think about this, the Stone Age to the Iron Age was hugely different. And yet, as you go through, it always scales up and up and up. And, of course, you have a look now from the Plastic Age to the Computer Age to the IT Age. Mm. We're talking of years or, or, or not in decades yeah. you know and, and, and as you go back but of course unfortunately it hits a tipping point where something goes terribly wrong mm. and you look at the way everything scaled up look at your apple tree that was these wonderfully great big beautiful trees they've been scaled and scaled and scaled to produced produce, produced produce. we are now at a point where the apple tree is not functioning as an apple tree mm. and therefore actually at, at that risk of collapse but I also look at society I look at everything that's actually on this scale at the moment and a human, and scale. A human scale. Human yeah. scale and every part of scale yeah. of this book talking about it. And it's actually quite a worry that <laughs> everything gets faster and faster and faster. You know, and you could talk about the 100 metres and how the record gets broken. Yeah. Nobody's ever going to run the 100 metres in one second. No. So in actual fact, you, you know, whereas 300 years ago it was probably 20 seconds.
0: Yeah.
1: And and the, and the jumps and, and jumped and jumped and, okay, you were saying Bolt came and did some wonderful things. The chances of them beating 9.5 seconds we're at that tipping point of 100 metres you know we're not far off never ever beating
0: yeah. it's going to end
1: you can't just keep beating it Yeah, yeah. so you just look at all this breeding and you just think at what point do we stop GM Crops has brought in new technology but in actual fact is brought in GM pests, essentially, and, and yeah. everything goes yeah. with that. So it, it's, it, it was a it was a very small stopgap in, in, in something that, actually, they, now what?
0: Yeah, so yeah what next? Mm. And, but I think that's a lot of what we're talking about, is about rowing back, rowing back from that. And actually, because for me, I still want to grow fruit. I want a profitable business yeah. that grows fruit. You know, and I've said this before, but, you know, I've gone from a few years ago, 95% of my business were red apples to about three UK retailers. You want to talk about risk and exposing yourself in that way. And now, of course, with, you know, we've got the juice business, which sweeps up some of this poor quality fruit, and so you can add value to that. And we've also, with a farm shop, we've now got... hundreds of products and thousands of customers it's still including some of the the, the retailers and all of a sudden it's it's more complex but we're employing more people it was interesting you mentioned earlier on because you can talk a bit more about some of the enterprises that are going on at Townsend but we were talking about people and activity and how farming has been depopulated and actually by some innovation and creative thought we're actually starting to repopulate farming albeit in a slightly different way but you know, we've gone from having two people on the farm, plus me, to we're now, I think, 16 full and part-time people. And there's activity everywhere. There's people coming and going. And there's, there's conversations. conversations, just noise and chatter. And I think that has a big role to play in terms of when it comes down to the me- mental health piece. But it's also just you need relationships at every single level, from relationships of relationships of a healthy soil right the way through the, the, the number of enterprises you have in your business the number of social interactions you have because on so many on so many levels that human activity creates so many problems but it also is a really positive thing as well depending on how it manifests itself so you know you were saying that you pulled into your farmyard and there was just a bit going on here and a bit going on there and there's some Brings the place back to life again.
1: It certainly made, made, me, made me smile. It was, it, yeah, it was sim- simply... Well, I showed you that little slide, little okay. gif I made. Yeah, it's lovely. And it's it's a very simple gif, and I'll describe it, and perhaps I'll learn and put it on some social media. But essentially, it's a picture of our farm in 1938, and I think there's 16, 16 chaps working on the farm. And interesting enough, they were using scythes obviously, to cut wheat, and still managed to have an hour a ploughman's hour for lunch yeah. and never seemed to actually worry that the that the weather might come and change. Mm. And the Glenbine didn't uh, catch, uh, catch fire either. Funny, funny that, and interesting enough, we've now got a combine that's 45 foot cutting uh, 70 tonnes an hour, yet we haven't got time to have lunch. Mm. What have we gained mm. exactly in all this? But what I would say is that my, this transition goes from these, these people stood around and it fades out and then it just fades into, into me myself yeah. in, in terms of no wonder farms have become quite a, a sad lonely place when yeah. all these people have disappeared and actually you're on your own and like you said I, I came home the other, other, other evening it was lovely the brewery had Nigel there his son and his son's children so three generations three generations there, generations there. The fermentary, They were loading up a van, clinging of bottles and and all that, ready for a, a festival. They were going to go and run and that sort of thing. And 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 my my children were out. We went. I think moved some sheep and things. And you just think, all of a sudden, there were there was twelve people on the farm. and yeah. it, was, it was just like actually, this is what farms should be about. It, yeah. It's about inclusion and and bringing people and and, and people back in. Yeah. So it, yeah. yeah, it was. It's been really good. Really, yeah. really quite good.
0: When we were chatting last night, you know, obviously. I'm busy, been rushing around. We're short-staffed for a while, and you know, trying to find and recruit people is is a bit of a challenge. And then, and so you know, I was having a bit of a, a slump in terms of my cheerfulness. And then we were talking about your the court case. You know, one of your challenges. Yeah. Um. But sounds like there's some some good news coming. Which well, hopefully, we ho- ho- seriously lifted my mood yesterday. Yeah, hopefully. So, um,
1: I, I can't remember how far we've gone down the route of where we are, but essentially, with Job's injury what essentially happened is we we found that actually our public liability didn't cover
0: the liability cost. Therefore, what we were being claimed for was £17.5 So, So just to put that in simple terms, you basically had a solicitor for for Job. When when essentially you're suing yourselves, so Job is not competent
1: enough to, to hire his own solicitor. So essentially we appoint him a buddy, which is his auntie. So his auntie is his buddy who helps represent Job. He then has a team of solicitors that essentially sues us mm. for damages, and and what should happen is our public liability, what the insurance we pay, there's a reason why you pay a public liability every year, would, would cover uh, any any of these eventualities. What's actually happened is our public liability stands at ten million, and actually the the claim was for seventeen and a half. So for the last five years. Whilst the NFU have been unbelievably fantastic as, as a mutual, just amazing insurers and, and could have just handed over the £10 million that, they, that they admitted that they were liable for and could have walked away, they've stuck by us and said, we actually think it's unethical that, that Job's solicitors essentially is taking, almost destroying your family for the sake of just Job, Job yeah. himself. So we were faced with a £7.5 million top-up fee. Um, which, is, which is selling the farm. Which is saying, so, no. well, funny enough, I, I didn't have it down behind the sofa. I looked a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah just uh, wasn't wasn't looking was, around. wasn't lurking no, around. It I know you
0: charge a lot for your
1: you know your advice. <laughs> <laughs> but seven and a half million got to the stage where absolutely
0: the only the only option is to sell the farm. Which from a quality of life point of view for Job is completely counterproductive. Totally counterproductive. Essentially he could end up living in a castle, me and my wife living in
1: a cardboard box and, yeah. and apparently according to, to 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 his own solicitors and the way that the UK law's written, that, that that's fine. We've been arguing obviously that actually and that that all the sums are also based on the fact that when the court case is settled, me and me and Helen just walk away from Job's life and he needs two carers full time for the rest of his life. Mm. Strange assumption that you can yeah. do that to your own son,
0: yeah.
1: but yeah, and there's no there's no grey area. It's this is what could ha- could happen.
0: Mm.
1: Interesting. So so essentially we've been we've been fighting to a greater or lesser extent. Basically, what we decided to do was actually demonstrate that we could take this legal thing on for years and years and years and years. And years and fight it in various courts and things and, and, and that sort of thing. The only person this is harming is Job himself, because he's yeah. not getting the, the, the support. Attention, well, he's yeah. not getting the 10 million yeah. for the star oh, yeah. or anything. So it ended up going to various courts, and the, the Court of Child Protection stepped in and said, don't, don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> uh, finally, somebody's actually yeah. said, spoke some sense, why on earth would you persecute a family yeah. for the benefit of one member? Yeah. So in actual fact, this it's, it's nearly four years of ridiculous wrangling, uh, has come back to the very offer that we offered them in the first place. It was the NFU's ten million, and we will give Job two barns adjoining to our house yeah. in which we could convert into his living quarters for the rest of his life. You know, which included a hydrotherapy pool and that sort of thing, yeah. uh, and all of that. And funny enough, four years on. They've said, well, yeah, I think we can make that work, even though immediately they said it definitely wouldn't work. Yeah. So it's been agreed by Joe's solicitors, it's been agreed by Joe's buddy, it's been agreed by us, it's been agreed by the NFU. We've just got to put it in front of a judge, yeah. and the judge ha- does have to sign it off. And, you, you know, you just never know where court and legalities work. But we're really there. we're quite okay. excited. So oh, uh, that, that could be um, number one that Joe can actually we can start developing his living quarters. We're desperate for hydrotherapy pool for him. Yeah. He He's not the most mobile of children but when you put him in water of course it, it takes all the body weight off him and he becomes a very much independent child Lovely. and it's great. So that's one of the first things we're looking to, to get built yeah. and that sort of thing. So so it's good and it'd be good for us. Uh, 100% and, amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, yeah it's a bit of good news but not not, not anyway, yeah, yeah, and and until that court is signed, mm. I'm not I'm not writing no. the last chapter of the book, no. Because at the moment, technically, we could still lose everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fingers crossed. Yeah. I'm gonna watch this space. Well, you are. well that's um, if you want to uh, if you want to talk about stresses and I don't know how the hell you <laughs> how you've coped with it. Well, well, it gets to the point where I think if it would, I think if they were me for seven hundred and fifty thousand,
1: mm. I'd have been a little bit more. Worried, which, which is, yeah, which, which is strange, you. because 750,000, we could probably have scraped together by actually going to the bones of your ass and actually, mm. you know, uh, in terms of probably selling every everything we, we own, inside buildings and yeah, tractors yeah, and, yeah. and a- anything we could, you scrape it together and borrow a couple of free, four into mm. that, and that's, when it comes to seven and a half million, so you've sure. just got to laugh, because you're like, well, <laughs> 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 and, and interesting enough, it made me have this do you have that? Mm. No. I don't, I don't know many people that do.
0: No, knocking about.
1: No. One thing to come out of it, and I, and I will stress this um, to the farmers listening, that it's well worth speaking to your the NFU, if that's who you, you insure with, and just checking out and, and start to put a bit of pressure on the public liability limit of £10 million. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying to people, go and go and get £20 million individually, but can you imagine if the NFU as a whole went to their underwriters and said, we're looking for a whole deal for the whole of UK farming to go from 10 to 20 million. Mm. What would it cost us extra a year? 60 quid, 70 pounds in premiums? wouldn't cost a lot if it was across the board. Yeah. Because everybody would share that amount of... So I think the conversation needs to be not, I want 20 million and therefore uh, how much extra is it going to cost me. Just keep saying, do you think 10 million is actually enough?
0: Yeah. Because
1: we've certainly found it's not and and it's it's certainly wanting. Interesting enough, it was only... 18 months before, our insurance was only five. Right. Yeah. yeah.
0: What did move in the right direction, but not near enough. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, good luck, mate. It's, um, yeah, watch this space on that yeah, one. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. We were going to try and record one of these at uh, Groundswell, where you went, and you spoke, actually, twice, three times. Yeah. You can't, you can't remember one of them, I think. Uh, well, one of them, actually, is on the... Uh, if, if you um, go onto uh,
1: YouTube Groundswell, there's me talking about uh, my mental health journey and called Regenerate Your Mind. That was very, very well received, despite the fact that I'd entertained quite a lot. I should have, should have, should have had the, the evening before, um, and the can I'm holding is a can of water. I hasten to add, uh, uh, because it just looks like I've, I've literally just stepped out of a hedge after a heavy night, which is generally true. And yeah. then, then gone for hair of the dog. Yeah. But actually, it was it was rehydration. So I yeah. am not an alcoholic. Um, I am I am actually drinking water, but it was. It was, it was one of those things that I, I spoke to Alex Cherry about last year, who, who, who runs the Groundswell event there. About actually, I think we need to start bringing in the social side of, uh, of that, and I'm more than happy to talk about my journey and, and what happened with Job and how, how really um, you, you know your brain works and, and, and how this could be a very good thing for, for your mental health. And um, yeah, it was it was amazing. I got I got a very nice round of applause after, and I also had a queue of people coming to talk to me and then there were the, the, these mad women they were great and they said we've got nothing to say we just want to give you a hug it was an amazing story <laughs> and it was just like oh wow it was, and it was just like yeah absolutely fabulous yeah. and then we had these, these students from Schumacher University Yes, um, come, come, and, come and listen and they got buzzing went back and their their professor came up yesterday to, to come and have a farm walk and look around and he was rather quite surprised with everything we were doing and um, yeah. we're going looks like we're going to do some work together on yeah. on some tree planting and some hedge laying and Brilliant. and also run a, a couple of two three day courses on the farm to help with MSCs and and masters masters and that sort of thing so that would be pretty cool yeah. so and then next weekend is Valley Fest. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that. Yeah, which is a music festival run by Year Organics. Year Valley. Year Valley Organics. And this year they've got a regenerative zone. Brilliant. And I'm going to speak in the regenerative zone. And it's lovely that they actually, and we've talked about it and I've done it, you know, Memorial, the art of farming yeah. and, and actually how the arts can become part of it. And it's lovely that we're going to combine music, art, th- therapies and, and, and various other things and also talk about food and regeneration and soil and that sort of thing. Yeah, so, so that's quite exciting. i speaking on Sunday. That, what, this
0: Next weekend? Next weekend, yeah. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. I think it's going to be pretty well attended as well. Ten or thousand. Ten, ten thousand,
1: yeah, yeah, so I believe, yeah, so that would be nice. I expect yeah. one man and his dog will come and listen to me. Yeah? I mean, there's some pretty decent bands playing, so
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'll be alright you'll be as big a drawer as the headline acts I'm sure
1: if not bigger yeah Yeah, I mean do
0: do, do you not know who I am (laughs) (laughs) our listeners certainly do
1: yeah
0: Uh, well listen it's been an awesome one actually it was uh, out of uh, out of my incompetence and lack of organisation to actually get a a speaker together we can just do that do that on the next one you want me to do it (laughs) well (laughs) yeah you may be yeah maybe but no, I, it's been great just to catch up and, and have a look around the farm, you know, and as we were saying, it's nice to have another pair of eyes just having a look and asking questions and... Because ultimately, what sometimes you need is just to have your business or your situation kind of pulled apart and challenged and questioned, so you can... Well, it's a little bit like the horrific story, the uh, question I asked
1: you when we were walking down the lane, and I said, well, what do you do? Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? And, 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 and actually... You know, and it was like, well, I do this, this, and this, and, this. and it, it it wasn't a criticism. No. It was a question of, actually, you're, you're very good at, uh, at seeing an opportunity, and we, we spoke about that, didn't we? Yeah. You know, much yeah. like myself, actually what we need is we need the blue sky in front of us and actually create these these projects and the new farm shop that you've got here coming and, 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 the, and the juice business and that sort of business. What you're not brilliant at, and, and probably... I, I say you're not brilliant, What what seems a shame... Is that you're not moving straight on to the next blue sky thinking, and actually doing an awful lot of the sweeping up, and and generally the blue sky thinkers aren't the best fixes of, of yeah of keeping all that going. Just yeah. leave that behind. And let somebody else pick that up and, and yeah. do what you're, you're you're really skilled at. Yeah. Because before you know it, you become an admin. You you know essentially you know fixing up all kinds of yeah. problems yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 um, yeah. and yeah and actually the thing that you're really good
0: at is something you become not. Well, I think I think that's been my. Talking with Helena and things, you know, the main priority now is to to recruit people that want to be part of what we're doing here. Yeah. And what's been really nice is that the last couple of people that have come to join the team have really wanted to join the team because they want to be part of Loddington. Yeah. So part of what we're doing, they they don't just want to work in a farm shop or don't want to just be a production manager for a juice business or whatever. But they've kind of seen what we're doing. They like what we do. They kind of they they need a job and they want to be part of what we're doing. Mm. And you know, I think when you have people that come to the business that are already engaged with like the culture and the journey we're on in terms of everything we're we're doing you can teach the skills yeah you know so you can i can invest some time in in teaching people to to do those bits and maintain maintain and grow the 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 things that we've set up so that you can keep moving on you know there's so much to think about and and so many opportunities just around be it farming or other projects there's the, the opportunities are endless but I have certainly ended up, where I've ended up now is launching a lot of them and then try to maintain and manage them all myself, which is why we didn't end up with a guest for the uh, yeah. for this podcast. Yeah. But there's, you know, like we say, out of every uh, chaotic situation comes opportunity. talking of
1: opportunity, I just wonder
0: whether one of us hits on our bank manager. Yeah, maybe we should. Can we interview, see what their their view is? Yeah. Yeah, well if you're listening Gavin then you you know you'd have to come and join us for the next one.
1: Yeah.
0: There's uh, there's no pressure, but um <laughs> but yeah, we can we can see what what the bank banking well, sector's view is. Absolutely. It's I just wonder whether we do know. Yeah. I know that there's a lot going on in the in those you know in the financial sector. So yeah, well maybe that could be one. He's on holiday this week, so he'll he'll be um spending, spending your money that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, the sun's shining, we're gonna get back outside I think and um thanks everyone for listening. It's been a slightly different twist on our on the Farming for Change podcast this month, but I don't think we'll apologise for that. But it's been great fun. We've had a really good walk round and chat and look at what we're doing. We spend a lot of time looking at everyone else's. Maybe not the next one, but the one after that we'll we'll have a really good scout round at Townsend. Yeah. And um and do it again because it's been been great fun we'll get another one of these together pretty quickly we'll try not to leave such a long long gap this time keep listening keep um, asking questions about regenerative farming and and how it can make life better and uh, we'll catch you all next time